Hello, this is Ed Cohen, your broadcast host on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com, a news service of GlobalBusinessNews.net. So I'm coming to you today from San Diego, California, and our special guest is Mr. Stephen Howard, and he's based in Palm Springs, California, which is about a two and a half hour drive east from San Diego. Our special guest has written many books, and his newest book is Better Decisions, Better Thinking, Better Outcomes. That sounds like a good idea for today's virus problem and for a lot of other problems. So let's welcome Stephen Howard. Hey, Ed. Good to be here. Glad to be invited. Well, thank you so much. I was really impressed with your resume and your site to see all the different books that you've been involved with. So I wanted to uh, just cut right to this. Better decisions, better thinking, better outcomes. That is a wonderful idea. (laughs) So what's it all about? It's all about the fact that in the business world particularly, but even in our personal lives, we tend to get emotionally hijacked and we make bad decisions or less than optimal decisions. So the whole, whole book is about understanding how to control our stress, how to control our anxiety so that we make better decisions, which allows us to do better thinking and hopefully get better outcomes. Okay, so I'm reading in the notes that it's basically about tips and techniques that will help people regain control of their decision-making processes and therefore prevent what you call emotional hijackings and that can often lead to bad decisions. Okay, so what is the background for this title? Okay, how did you derive that title? Well, the title got derived, and thank you, that's a great question, but the title got derived from the concept that most people think we should do better thinking first, which would give us better decisions. But in fact, the first decision we have to make, particularly when we get angry, is not to get emotionally hijacked, not to make a decision when we're in that mental state. And I'm sure all of your listeners at some point in their lives have said said to themselves, I was so angry, I couldn't think straight. Well, this is to get you past that standpoint and start thinking straight. So this is geared for not just you and me, but for the C-suite and top management? C-suite, top management, even supervisors, first-line managers, and really any of us. Any of us can be in situations where we're not thinking straight and therefore we're going to make a, a bad decision or a less than optimal decision. So it's really for everybody who has to make decisions in the workplace. This is about thinking. So what do you do? Practice yoga? Well, thinking and breathing would be better. You know, you don't have to practice yoga. You don't have to become a Buddhist. You don't have to go on a, a 10-day silent retreat. Basically, it's, it's paying attention to yourself, being aware, which is what really mindfulness is all about, it being fully present, and also particularly as a leader, being fully present and listening to your people, listening to what they're saying, listening to what the issues are, and also maybe what they're not telling you sometimes, because always as leaders, sometimes we are, we're given information that people expect us, that they, they think that this is what we want to hear, and that leads, again, to poor decision-making. Yes. How long have you been doing this kind of work? 
Well, I've been doing leadership work, leadership training for over 20 years. I've trained 10,000 leaders from around the world and on every continent except Antarctica. But this particular topic of, of decision-making and of stress and, and, and the brain, it resulted from my father. I, I moved back to the United States. I lived overseas for over half my life. I moved back to the United States to look after my dad when he started having some health issues. And I started studying how to handle an elderly parent who has Alzheimer's. And, and then I started applying it to the workplace and started talking to leaders about their mental states. And the, every leader told me that I'll worry about that when I retire. And when I started telling them that their brain health today is impacting today's decision, which is impacting today's bottom line, they started listening to me. And then that's, uh, that's when I started writing the book. So I'm on your website and I see this wonderful graphic here. It's a mindful leadership workshop, focuses on better decision-making, and it's a picture, multicolored picture of a person's head, and the quadrants are think, different, create, idea. So what made you identify those four things? Well, research has shown, and they've only been able to do brain research for the last 15 or 20 years due to imaging technology, but research shows us that when we are stressed, when we're tired, when we're anxious, the brain looks for binary options because otherwise the brain is afraid of getting overheated. And binary options, yes or no, black and white, one or two, this or that. And usually, particularly in the workplace, we need to brainstorm. We need to think differently. We need to think of a multiple range of options. And that will lead, again, to a more optimal decision. I'll give you a real fast example, if I may. I was working with a client recently, and there was a fire in a building un or underneath the building where their training center was located. And the people came in and said, oh, my gosh, we've got this fire. What are we going to do? we got a training class going on there. And had she been in a stress condition, she would have said either, you know, don't move until we're told or move them. No, binary. Do this or do that. But she was in a more peaceful, mindful state, and she started exploring options. Can we move the class to the Starbucks down the street? Can we move it to the building across the street? Can we just postpone for two hours, take a long lunch break, and then come back once the fire is under control? So this is what I mean by looking for optimal, better decisions rather than the, the typical urgent decision of, you know, kick the people out of the building, shut the class down for the rest of the day. That's interesting. So I see a clipping here that says leaders and managers need to learn to become first responders, not first reactors. In more ways than one, almost. I, I was actually trained as a rescue diver, a scuba diver. And one of the first things we're trained in that is, you know, you just don't jump in the water when somebody's shouting for help. There could be sharks in the water, there could be petrochemicals in the water, could be an undercurrent. You need to assess the situation, much like our EMTs do. I mean, firefighters don't jump out of the trucks and race to a burning car. They, they look to see if there's any electrical wires, gasoline, whatever sort of thing. Business people need to do the same thing. Business people tend to react to a situation, make snap decisions, don't take time. They are reacting to the situation. I'm encouraging to pause, contemplate, think, get mindful, ask better questions, and then respond to the situation, as the lady did in, in the earlier example I gave you about the, the fire underneath her building. So this is taking control of your mind. Mindfulness is what you call it, right? It is. It's mindfulness, which really just means being present, being aware of your body sensations. I mean, we all know that our 
gut feelings. But, you know, when we get anxious or nervous, our palms tend to sweat. Um, we get a rumbling in our stomach. We get tight muscles in our shoulders, uh, arms. And so if we would be more sensitive, more present, and identify those situations, those are clues that we might be going down the wrong track. And you mentioned earlier about breathing. One of the techniques is to simply calm ourselves down, do some deep breathing, and become more mindful, become more present, and then we're in a better position to make better decisions and get better outcomes. You call it brain health. That's cool. Yeah, well, what's interesting is is that our brain is the biggest user of oxygen and the biggest user of blood in our system. So really, whatever is good for our heart is good for our brain. But unfortunately, again, science is being able to show this. Uh, things like, you may not believe this, but men who pack on the most abdominal fat in their 40s are the most likely to develop dementia later in their life. So really? brain health starts, wow. yeah, brain health starts in our 30s and our 40s. And it's not something to wait for till we retire and think about, oh, we'll do Sudoku puzzles or we'll do crossword puzzles or we'll learn a second language. All those things help, but we really need to start thinking about our brain health a lot earlier, particularly what we eat, what we consume, and how active we are in our lives. You have something here on the site uh, about a 15-minute meeting. That's just booking time with you, right? Oh, that's just booking time. Yeah, that, that's just yeah. if people want to have a consult-free conversation about the topic or to book time with me to, uh, to explore some ideas or talk about how to bring this into their organization. Talk to us about leadership for a moment. I mean, now more than ever, we see it in government, but we, we need to see it in business, uh, too, at, at all levels, not just the top, right? Absolutely. And, and I'm a big believer that almost everybody in the organization is a leader, if not of other people, at least of themselves. We're all leaders of ourselves, even if we're an individual con contributor who, you know, maybe just doing research analysis or a chemist who's working only in a laboratory doesn't have direct report. But we're all leaders of ourselves. And this, the whole world needs more leadership today. So the, the mindfulness idea and the thinking through things is a certain technique, of course which I'm sure you get into. You're probably a Navy SEAL, aren't you? In terms of men <laughs> no. mental agility, anyway, it sounds like. So what is the glue, if you can define the glue between strategy and execution? That's what I call supervisors, first-line supervisors, first-level leader or managers or whatever. Because like glue, glue has to bond to both sides of a piece of paper or wood or wherever, whatever it's holding. First-level leaders, first-line leaders, they need to bond to the strategy. They have to understand the strategy, and they have to be able to lead people to execute the strategy. But they also have to be able to go upwards and tell management. Management often comes up with these ideas to execute something. They don't understand the hurdles, the obstacles, the constraints that something might not be executed within a certain time frame, for instance. Good leaders at that first level leaders being glue between strategy and execution, they will go up to their bosses and say, hey, we can get this done, but we need seven months to do it, not five months to do it. We can get this done, but we need, you know, 10% increase in the budget or, or whatever. And here's the reasons why. And they'll explain it to their upper leaders how to execute the strategy that's being given to them. Okay, so I see in your background, you wrote a book about something like this. This is not the official title, but Leadership Lessons from Yoda. So, uh, <laughs> I remember Yoda, the little guy, is all wrinkled. That book I wrote mostly for the younger generation. It's a very thin book, 140 pages. I keep it priced at like $8, so it's available for everybody. And so the, the book title is called Eight Keys to Great Leadership, which I will admit is a very boring title. 
but what you're referring to is a subtitle, which is Leadership Tips and Techniques from Gibbs, Yoda, and Captain Jack Sparrow. So Gibbs is the NCIS TV show on Tuesday nights, the uh, yeah. ex-Marine control and command style leader, but he gets yeah. great loyalty. Yoda is your philosophical leader who thinks about leadership, thinks about how to implement leadership, think differently. And of course, Captain Jack Sparrow is your get into situations and get out of situations type leader. People love it because I show excerpts from their, their TV shows and movies and to illustrate the points I'm making about leadership. It's kind of a lighter read on leadership than these very dry 250, 300 page books that people write. Yeah. So you're a hands-on guy and I could tell energetic and engaging. Thank you. Okay. So it says here that Stephen Howard is an award-winning author of 20 books on leadership management, corporate branding, and marketing. What's corporate branding? Is it just advertising and PR? No, I, in the book I wrote, was, it was called Corporate Image Management. It really looked at the corporate brand, like like a, a brand like a Nike or even a Coca-Cola brand. You know, you, they have their product brands. I mean, under Nike, you've got the Jordan brand, you've got the Nike women's brand and stuff. But what does the corporation stand for? And a real good example of that right now, you mentioned the virus, is uh, Starbucks. Starbucks is a you know pretty stellar corporate brand. Their focus is first on employees, second on customers, and third on shareholders, which is not usual in today's world. And they've just announced yesterday, I believe, that for their employees who might be impacted by the virus or whose families might be impacted by the virus, they're going to give them, I forget the number, but several hours a week of paid leave to take care of their families and or themselves if necessary, even if these people are part-time workers. And you've got other organizations who they say, well, if you have to take sick leave, you got take your normal sick leave. We're not paying anything extra. We're not we're not compensating for the virus. So, you know, the corporate image of Starbucks is, is pretty stellar for most people. And it has nothing to do with their coffee, has nothing to do with their coffee shops or, or anything else. That's the corporate brand. Well, thank you for this insight. It's really fascinating. But now I want to get into, because of some family uh, background, the Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. Well, this is the sad part, and this is the other reason I wrote the book, Ed, quite frankly, is that projections right now call for a 67% increase in Alzheimer's, dementia, and stroke in this decade. So by the year 2030, there will be over 10 million Americans impacted by Alzheimer's and, and stroke and, and dementia, and something like 76 million people worldwide. And that's inexcusable because a lot of it, now there is a DNA component to it but it's a small component. And a lot of Alzheimer's is and dementia, is a, it's a lifestyle disease. It's, again, lack of sleep, uh, high blood pressure, too much stress in our lives. These are things that are happening in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, which is going to cause brain diseases in the future. And, and the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association currently estimate that 60% of Americans will develop a brain disease in their lifetimes. Six out of 10 of us are going to have a brain disease in our lifetime. And there's no excuse for that. We can stop that if we want. Brain disease, you mean like Parkinson's or something yep. else? Yeah, like Parkinson's, that? dementia, Alzheimer, all those diseases. Uh, because, again, a lot of them are caused by insufficient blood to our brain, which is caused, again, by obesity, which is caused by high blood pressure, which is caused by stress. And it's a huge societal issue. I mean, even today... 10% of 60-year-olds are caring for their own parents, and 12% of, of people 70-plus are caring for parents. And it's just going to get larger, those numbers, 
And as someone who looked after his own parent who had early Alzheimer's disease when my father passed away, I tell you, the emotional cost as well as the financial cost of caring for an elderly parent is pretty dramatic. And uh, again, it's going to be a huge societal issue over the next two decades. So I have some personal experience. My dad had Alzheimer's. He died when he was 86, mm -hmm. but he didn't know who I was. Last year, year and a half, just looked at yeah. me, didn't know, <laughs> just stared. <laughs> yeah. Well, not funny. Not funny. No, not at all. In my, my case, is only a couple of months. But, but here's, here's a little statistic that will interest your, your listeners. People with too much belly fat actually have smaller brains compared to those who are, are not overweight. So, and that's just the way science has now been able to measure the, the thickness of the brain. So lose weight and have a better brain when you retire. I've read somewhere that Alzheimer's, uh, there could be many causes, but one of the things that doctors have noticed is some kind of calcium buildup in parts of the brain, which contributes to the Alzheimer's growth. That's true. There is, there is a slight increase in calcium buildup, as you say, in plaque in the brain. And again, that gets built up because of lack of blood circulation. So uh, again, what we do for our heart, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to tell people now is that if you would just walk 15 to 20 minutes a day, I'm not, you don't need to run half marathons or marathons or anything like that, but 15 to 20 minutes a day of walking, get up around the office, don't sit all day, get up, move around, stretch it a little bit, go outside and get some fresh air. All these things will help your blood circulate. And the more your blood is circulating through your body, and again, the brain is the biggest user of blood, the more it's circulating in your brain, the chances of getting Alzheimer's, dementia, and, and other diseases drops dramatically. Fascinating. Stephen, I look forward to meeting you in person someday. Uh, that well, that would be my honor. That would do great. You said we're only, like you said, we're only two and a half hours away, and I get down to San Diego a couple times a year, so we'll have to definitely connect, or you'll have to come back up here to the desert sometime, and we'll connect. Thanks very much for being our guest. Stephen Howard, leadership development expert and executive coach, as you could tell, a good speaker and a best-selling author. He turns good managers into great leaders. Stephen Howard, how can people get in touch with you? Stephen at calianteleadership.com. The website is calianteleadership.com. I'm on LinkedIn. So yeah, give me a shout out and I'll be happy to help you or your organization think about how to improve the wellness of their of your employees. So how'd you come up with the name Caliente? That's Spanish for hot, right? It is Spanish for hot. There's two reasons for it. One is where I live, the land is owned by the Caliente Band of Indians. So it's kind of my tribute to the Native Americans. But also Caliente in Spanish means passionate, the second definition of it. So a conversation caliente is a passionate conversation. And hopefully you've been able to pick up. I'm a little bit passionate about leadership and a little bit passionate about brain health. So that's why I named it Caliente Leadership. Well, you're a leader and thank you for sharing on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com. That was Stephen Howard. I'm Ed Cohen signing off. He's in Palm Springs. I'm in San Diego globalradiotalkshow.com. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Ed. Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful 